appreciate the presence this morning. Appreciate Dylan reading for us the text of the morning out of Galatians chapter 6. We've been studying Galatians for a long time. We're now in the last chapter, the very last of the book, and Paul here has turned his attention a little bit to application. Last week, Brother John talked to us about bearing one another's burdens. That's an application of the first five chapters of the book. Then Paul goes on here in chapter in the in verses uh, seven through ten, and he talks about this concept of sowing and reaping, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to start with a story that I read uh, on the internet, so it must be true. Um, uh, a story that I thought very well illustrated this concept of uh, of sowing and reaping. There's a poor Scottish farmer. He's out one day, and he's. Uh, working his crops and his uh, his fields are beside a marsh down in the marsh it's blackish water deep muddy mucky uh, marshy land and down in that marsh he hears the scream of a child here's a scream of a kid he runs down into that marsh as any probably sane person would and he keeps listening for the kid and he finally finds the kid and he rescues this young uh, child from the marsh that young child happened to be a nobleman's son and so the nobleman comes by to visit the farmer and he offers the farmer a reward. He said, I want to pay you for having saved my son. I love my son and you did a great deed. You saved him. At first he says, no, sir, it's the right thing to do. It's anyone would have saved a child. Anyone would have responded to a screaming child that was in, in need. And about that time, the poor farmer's son comes out of the house. And the nobleman says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will make sure that your son gets a proper education. So you saved my son, I'll, I'll reward you by helping your son. And so the, no, the uh, poor Scottish farmer accepts that. Well, the Scottish farmer's son graduate from, graduates from St. Mary's uh, Hospital School there. Not only does he graduate, but he goes on to do a lot of research his name was Sir Alexander Fleming, and he discovers penicillin, one of the greatest discoveries of all time. So this poor Scottish farmer's son, who would have never gone to college, his college was paid for by the nobleman, and the poor Scottish son goes on to do great things. He discovers penicillin. And that would be a great sowing and reaping story, but it doesn't end there. You see, the later the nobleman's son is diagnosed with pneumonia, Guess what saves him from the pneumonia? Penicillin. So he's repaid over and over. His son is saved. And because of that, he sends another kid to school. That kid goes on to become a doctor, die, or find, uh, discovers penicillin. His son gets sick. His son is saved from that sickness by the very penicillin that the poor Scottish farmer's son developed. His name was Sir Winston Churchill. His nobleman father was Sir Randolph Churchill. So Churchill got pneumonia, saved by penicillin, by the very poor Scottish farmer's son that had saved him from the Black Marsh. Just one little twist and turn of sowing and reaping after another in that uh, very quick story. <clears throat> you see, sowing and reaping is a universal law, very much like the laws that Sir Isaac Newton gave us. He gave us three laws. He told us that a body that's in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an external force. Or if a body is stationary, it'll stay stationary 
unless acted upon by an external force. He taught us this equation of force equaling mass times acceleration that allows us to do crazy things like go to the moon, fly, all of those kind of things. He taught us this last one. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If I put my hands together, one hand's pushing as hard that way as the other one is pushing that way. Unless it moves, it's stationary, it's equal. If it moves, you get into statics, you get into dynamics, and I don't want to talk about that because Allison will be correcting me after the service. <coughs> I was okay at statics, but when I got into dynamics in college, I had a little trouble with that. But you impart kinetic energy, and it's still the equation, still true. But it's a universal law, no different than gravity. When you got up this morning, you stepped your foot outside of the bed, you knew it was going to go down. You were confident in that because it's a universal law. There's gravity that pulls us to the center of the earth at 9.8 meters per second squared, 32 feet per second squared. It's a constant. It happens every day. Or you'd be very frustrated wondering if your foot was going up, down, or sideways when you got out of bed this morning. It's a universal law. Sowing and reaping is exactly the same way. It always will happen. We'll talk about that for a, a few minutes this morning. There's four things I want you to know about sowing and reaping. Number one is the law applies to everyone. Nobody gets out of this, as somebody said, nobody gets out of this alive. We're all going to die, but nobody gets out of this law either. You may escape, escape the harvest here on earth, but you will reap it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this law of sowing and reaping can get a little confusing to us because we want to apply it in the finite period of 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 or 120 years that we're living. And we want to say, hey, if I do something here on earth, I'm going to reap a consequence here on earth. And that may be true if you get caught. There are people that do bad things and don't get caught. There are people that do good things anonymously and nobody ever knows it. There, are, there is sowing and reaping here on this earth that may go unpunished or unrewarded. But that's not what the law's about. The law's about this. The law's about judgment. The law's about you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will give an answer for every deed done in the body. Whether you were penalized on this earth or not, you can go to jail for 20 years, come out having served your, gotten your consequences here on this earth you're still going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for that. You don't get away just because you got your punishment here on earth. You don't not have to answer for it when you get there. That's what mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation is all about. But to get that, you've got to own your sin, right? You've got to own what it is that you've done bad on this earth. You've got to be willing to confess it. You've got to be willing to turn away from it. You've got to be willing to do good and, and get that sin out of your life. You've got to be willing to become a Christian and to have Christ's blood wash over you and get rid of your sins and then continue to repent from those and confess them and turn away from them your whole life. Any sin you don't do that with, it's going to get met with a discussion, a judge. I don't know what that'll look like. I don't think it'll be good. I'm no judge. If you go called home today, today, what's that going to look like? What kind of crops? 
what's your harvest going to look like on that judgment day? The second thing you need to know about sowing and reaping is you reap what you sow. You don't sow squash and get corn. You don't sow good deeds and get bad deeds. You don't sow bad things on this earth and get a reward in heaven. It just doesn't work that. You sow what you you reap what you sow. <clears throat> if you sow good habits and righteous deeds, great news. The future's bright. If you sow promiscuity, drugs, alcohol, mistreatment of others, not so good. It's just a law. You get what you sow. You, you just do. No different than the laws of gravity. We reap more than we sow. So it would be very frustrating for a farmer to sow one tomato seed and get one tomato with one seed in it. If that were the law, we couldn't feed the world. That's the way it worked. You get more than you sow. So everyone is, uh, everyone is going to get, uh, is just going to reap what they sow. You're going to reap what you sow, and you're going to reap more than you sow. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 23 that this farmer received hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. There was some abundance associated with the sowing that went on. An ear of corn, if you sow an ear of corn or sow one seed of corn, you'll get a stalk, usually with one to two ears, with 500 to 1,200 kernels per ear. You get more than you sow. So if you're sowing bad deeds, you're going to reap more than you sowed. If you're sowing good deeds, great. This is the one that's, uh, this rule here is, a, is probably the part that we have trouble with. You're going to reap later than you sow. There's a gestation period, right? You don't sow a seed and you get a plant with fruit on it tomorrow. There's a time between when you sow and when you reap. There's a time between planting and harvest. There's a time between good and bad deeds and the answering for those good and bad deeds. And that's what ruins us. This concept that we have more time. This concept of time. We think of, we think of time as, hey, you know, I'm young. I can do some bad stuff or not, or, you know, whatever. And I've got time to get that all fixed. In psychology, they call behavior is the centerpiece. Ahead of behavior is what they call antecedents. Behind behavior is what they call consequences. Antecedents are the things that lead you to think or do this behavior. It could be lust. It could be whatever. Some desire that leads you to do something bad. The bad is the behavior. The consequences are what am I going to reap from that. If these con- The further these consequences are from the behavior, the less they have to do at affecting the behavior. Soon certain and positive consequences will drive a behavior. These consequences, the further they get out, the less we think about the consequences when we perform, whether that's good or a bad action. The fact that the consequences for our sin is at the end of our life sometimes gives us this false sense of security. That's what allowed, because I guarantee if you knew Jesus was coming in three hours, I guarantee you could be good for three hours. Guarantee it. You could be the model Christian for three hours. I could even tell you he's coming next Sunday. This will be the best week of your life. But the fact that you don't know when he's coming could be in a few minutes, could be a million years from now, 
gives you this false sense of security that you don't have to do everything that he says exactly the way that he says it. That's the deception. And that's what he started with in this chapter. He said, be not, or this verse, be not deceived. It's the big deceiver. We think we have more time. The consequences are way out there. It's this illusion that we live in that time is somehow linear or that 70 or 80 or 100 years is somehow a long time or that I'm a teenager. I've got my whole life in front of me. I can tell you there were things I did as a teenager that I might not have deserved to have my whole life in front of me. I've driven crazy. I've done stuff that, you know, I think I overcome some of those laws of physics at some point. But we, we do those things when we're young and dumb, some people say, because we think we've got our whole life ahead of us. And there's no guarantee of that, number one. And number two, you're going to answer for that. It doesn't matter whether you're 18 or 28 or 98. You're going to answer for every deed done in the body. The question is, are you in a forgiven state? God is not mocked. An interesting little phrase there that um, I think sometimes we don't pay enough attention to. I love the prayer this morning. I love the way Chris put our mind around this concept of the God that we serve. Because we serve an awesome God. He's all-knowing, all-seeing. He's been there forever. He knows everything. The Bible tells us He dwells in unapproachable light. You can't even approach Him. He's so bright. You ever look at the sun and go, it's, it's a million times. You can't even put a number on how the brightness of the Lord is compared to the sun. He dwells in unapproachable light. The angels fly around. They put their wings over their eyes, guide their eyes because they can't look upon Him. This God that we serve is not mocked. You're not going to fool Him. You're not going to do bad things and not have to answer for Him. He's a God. He is the God. He's an unapproachable light. There's nothing you can do about that except obey His will. Anybody that wants to do anything any different is going to be met with a judgment. So this phrase is very important. It's important that we get our minds wrapped around it versus this concept that I've got a lot more time. This is the important part, not how much time you've got left. You're serving a God that will not be mocked. He will not stand for it. He will not stand for it. You can't, you can fool your boss, you can fool your wife, you can fool your kids, you can fool your teacher, you can fool whoever, but your God is not going to be mocked. You're not going to fool Him. So you can dance around in your little sin and hide it in the closet and pretend like it isn't going on and maybe go 90 years, die, and nobody on this earth ever knows about it. You'll stand before the judgment seat and it's going to come up. You'll answer for it. God is not mocked. So, he goes on to say there's two things you can do. You can sow to the flesh and you can reap corruption, or you can sow to the Spirit, and you can reap eternal life. So let's look at this concept of sowing 
um, to the flesh, or yeah, sowing to the flesh for a minute. <clears throat> it's obvious that sins of the body, things that make me feel good, putting ourselves uh, or part of ourselves that so a definition could be part of ourselves that want to live and act independently from the Lord. So the things that we want to do in this life where we think we're in control, we don't need the Lord, those kind of things. It's also sinful things that we do in the form of lusts and all of that that we, that we uh, are trying, that we're sowing to. Galatians 5, just a chapter earlier, says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he tells us to crucify the flesh. Here he's telling us not to sow to the flesh. He's talking about all of these fleshly desires. But there's also something else going on here in Galatians that I don't want us to miss. And I I think Paul could have been talking about this. I'm not going to preach that he was against this because I think this is obviously taught in other parts of the scripture. We've got to crucify crucify our flesh. We've got to move away from fleshy desires and lusts and all those things are bad. But I think he's got a bigger picture here. He's been talking to us about these Judaizing teachers. He's been talking to us about them bringing fleshly things into their worship. He's been talking about bringing in circumcision. He's been talking about bringing in days and honoring days and all these things. And he's like, if you're going to focus on these fleshly things, you're going to reap corruption. I want you focused on the spiritual things. So you see, sowing and reaping applies in all facets as well. It applies in your lives from a physical nature. It applies in your lives from a spiritual nature. And I think he's talking spiritually here. If you're going to sow to the flesh spiritually, then you're going to reap corruption. If you're going to bring in, if you're going to think your worship and the things I do in worship and my good deeds in worship are going to be the things that save you, you're sowing to corruption. What's going to save you is sowing to the Spirit. Have a spiritual relationship with God. Having a spiritual relationship. That's what's going to make the difference. So when we think about sowing to the flesh, it is true that everything that we do in flesh, those deeds are going to be brought. And if we sow to those things, if that's our focus, that's going to um, reap corruption as well. It's also true that if we think that in our spiritual life, if we're thinking that it's, it's all what I'm doing, I'm a good preacher, I'm a good prayer, I'm a good singer, I'm a good, it's all about my worship and how good I am at it, that's, that's not what he's looking for. Then he goes on to talk about sowing, oh, trying to impress God by human efforts like the laws of Moses. <clears throat> sowing to the Spirit. The Bible says we must not... So this is the last two verses that we read this morning. He goes on and tells us a little bit about this sowing to the Spirit. He says, but we must not get tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time. We must not give up. When we have the opportunity to do good to to anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are of the family of believers. It also tells us in, in Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit produces in a person's life what but the fruit of the spirit produces in a person's life joy, a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, and faithfulness. So sowing to the spirit is about doing good things and helping people and living the right way. 
it's also about worshiping in spirit as we, we've uh, been taught as well so there's a there was a story about a a man who's a successful businessman who's really rich and as uh, all rich successful business or let me I'm gonna say all that's the wrong word there as some rich successful businessmen are they're always looking about how to make more money that's what they said about uh, um, Howard Hughes you know said uh, he was still trying to make another billion even on his deathbed this rich man was lived way back during the times of um, alcohol prohibition back when uh, that was illegal and it was illegal to transport uh, alcohol and but he saw that as a quick way to make money so he got into that business and he ultimately got caught and he got sent to jail and in jail he's uh, he's uh, you know working as uh, as they had to back then it wasn't like jail today you went out and broke rocks or stamped license plates or you did something for the state to earn your money. It just so happened that his he had a needle and he had burlap and he was making what I call toe sacks, sacks that you put potatoes in or cow feed or, you know, we've hauled all kinds of things and toe sacks. And he's sitting there uh, weaving those toe sacks together and a young preacher walked in and he said, oh, I see you're sewing, S-E-W-I-N-G. And he kind of looked up with an ugly look and said, no, I'm reaping which I thought was a clever play on words, but I also thought was very true, right? He had finally come to the recognition that he was paying for the deeds that he'd done earlier. He was paying for the fact that he thought, hey, I can just go make some more money. So uh, hopefully the lesson calls you to be a better husband, a better wife, to treat people the way you need to treat them, to love the people around you, to be a better mom, a better dad, a better a better son, a better daughter, a better student, a better employee, a better boss. Do good, especially to those of the household of faith. And don't think that your bad deeds are going to go unpunished. We talked a little bit about that. I want to I want to circle back to that for just a moment. You're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for every good, every deed you've done. The good deeds, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The bad deeds, there's going to be a reckoning for that. Now what is the reckoning? They can be covered by the blood of Christ and you won't have to talk about it. You won't be judged on that. Jesus is going to pay for those sins. Well, what do, they ha- what do you have to do for those to be covered by the blood of Christ? Well, if you've never obeyed Christ, then you've got to believe that He is Christ, and you've got to confess that, and you've got to turn away from your worldly desires and earthly passions, and you've got to be baptized. And the blood that you come in contact in the baptism, that's going to wash away your sins. What about the ones that I happen after I'm baptized? Because you don't get, those aren't free either. What do you have to do to stay in contact with that blood? You got to own those sins. You got to confess those sins, and you got to ask the Lord to forgive you. That you don't just get a free reign on those. You don't. The Bible says, "Should I continue in sin that grace may abound?" God forbid. We have to own it. We have to turn away from it, and we have to and we have to ask God to forgive us for it. 
If you do those things, then the sins that are in your life, they'll be covered. You won't have... Jesus is going to be the one that's going to answer for those. Thank God. Jesus is going to be the one that says, I took those to the cross with me. He's not to be accounted for those. Enter in. But you got to own them. You got to want to be forgiven for them and you got to turn away from them. Hopefully, that helps. Hopefully, that gives you some uh, things to think about, some maybe some energy to change your life, to be a better Christian. I hope it does. If the church can help you, we stand ready to serve if you'd come while we stand and sing.